0: Welcome to The The Get Get Together. Together. Yes, it's our show about how to bring communities to life that can bridge the gaps between us in our digital world. I'm your host, Bailey Richardson. I'm a partner at People & Company and co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People, which is now available on Amazon. In each episode of this podcast, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. And this episode will be hosted by our get together correspondent, Mia Qualiarello. Mia has had senior content and community roles at places like Apple and Rhapsody and YouTube, where she was the first community employee at the company. And today she has actually two jobs she's the director of curation and community for Flipboard and the digital community manager for the Burning Man project. So Mia is a badass. Hello, Mia. Hi, how are you doing, Bailey? Great. Tell me about who you wanted to interview today.
1: Yeah, so I talked to Andy Crenshaw, who is the COO, CMO, and CFO of Dirty Birds, which is only my favorite record label and event company on the planet. So if you don't know, Dirty Bird pumps out the dirtiest, funkiest, most addictive house music around, and it translates to events that have the best community vibe. There's no pretension. There's no hippy dippy stuff. It's just regular people coming together and having stupid amounts of fun.
0: Yeah, I know you well enough to know how deep your knowledge is of music and music communities. Obviously, your uh, background working at different companies like Rhapsody and YouTube, you've been involved with creators and you've been involved with the music community in a passionate way for a very long time. So for me, I'm curious, you know, why did you want to speak to Dirty Birds out of all the communities out there that connect through music? And why were you so excited when Andy said yes to this interview?
1: yeah i was so excited um so to explain that i think i should give you like a little bit of a backstory. so at the heart of the label is the dj claude von stroke um and his real name is actually barclay crenshaw and he and andy are married Um, And together, they've created a community of artists that's more like a family and a community of participants like myself, who are their greatest advocates. So I had to find out how they built such a passionate fan base. But also the story of Dirty Bird is a great example of a couple working together to really intentionally plot their dreams and make it happen. And honestly, it's a story of a woman being the wizard behind the curtain. And those are my kinds of stories. So, yeah, so I was like, think I was more excited to talk to Andy than I was to um, interview Claude Von Stroke, which I've done in the past. Um, and she really deserves the spotlight more than any superstar DJ on the roster, in my humble opinion.
0: I love that. Mia, you are a community organizer, community builder by day. That's part of your work, <laughs> what you've been doing for the last, you know, 10 plus years of your life. So tell me, you know, hearing Andy's story, what stuck out to you?
1: Yeah, what really stuck out to me was the power of authenticity. You know, you can't fake community. An appreciation for and a respect for it has to be in your DNA. And for Andi and Dirty Bird, it really is. You know, that comes in part from necessity. They don't really have huge marketing budgets, but it also comes from being grounded and remembering your roots. Andi explained to me how Barkley felt on the road being treated as an artist versus what it feels like to be treated as a family member. And so they knew they wanted to do things differently and creating a vibe of togetherness was very much an intentional part of their strategy from the start.
0: I love that. Kevin and I like to say you can't fake the funk. And I love that thought of the difference between what it's like to be treated as an artist versus a family member. Beautiful. All right, let's jump in.
1: Um, so, Andi, thank you so much for for being here on the Get Together podcast. Yeah, um, to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I'd love to just start with some of the basics. Like, you know, what is Dirty Bird for people who don't know? How would you describe the sound and the community that's been built around it? Well, the sound is tech house,
2: house, really underground dance music. And, you know, people are like, how do you explain underground dance music? It's basically dance music kind of without singing. That's kind of how we, you know, some of our songs have, song, have singing on it, but it's mostly, um, there's some words... And then there's some beats, you know, and that's pretty much it. Really funky beats. It definitely has a unique sound. It doesn't sound like anything else that's out there, which is really cool. I think some other people have sort of joined the bandwagon more recently, you know, um, and broadened that sound slightly. But I think it's really, I know some people call it like wonky house or what goofy house, (laughs) (laughs) you know, stuff like that but it definitely has its own unique sound.
1: So can you take us back to the beginning of the label? Like, mm-hmm. You're married to Claude Von Stroke, who's also called Barkley Crenshaw, who is the founder of the label. And I read that you gave Barkley a year to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly it did. Can you take us back to that conversation and that decision and why you both decided to go for it?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think when I first met Barkley, he really had two dreams that were kind of connected. One was to be a world traveling DJ. And the second was to have his own record label. And at the time I was kind of doing my own soul searching. When I met him, I was a, a successful, pretty successful marketing agency executive. And I didn't really have like my personal life together. I was about 33 years old and I had been married before, so I was just kind of going through something called the Landmark Forum. It really helped me change my thinking around what was possible and to really kind of go for it with a relationship slash partner. So anyway, when I met Barkley, he was struggling with his dreams and I basically used the Landmark Forum like, Formula, as you say, on him and us, and said that we can kind of do anything we want. So let's just go for it, you know? So, of course, I'm always about the numbers. I was always like, how are we going to do this? You know, how much money do we need? How do we start? And essentially, he kind of researched a lot about it and figured out that, you know, he needed $10,000 to start the label. So it took a couple of months, like four or five months, probably to raise that money. And I kind of helped him do that. I hired him at the Company I was working at, LeapFrog, and we hired him to do videos because he was actually working at like a video duplication company and he knew how to do film. So we had him do research videos and we raised the money. And then he focused on the label and his own music and got it up and running. So that's kind of how it started. Um, Honestly, I had no idea, you know, (laughs) he was actually good.
1: And then what was the tipping point? Like, when did you really start to notice that like something was happening on a much bigger scale?
2: I think it took a while.
1: You know, I mean, we started doing
2: um, parties in the park in San Francisco, um, and that was like 2003, I think. So it took probably like a year and a half of those kind of consistent parties. It was kind of a slow build on that, but then kind of once the label got going, it was 2005, um, things really started to kind of turn around and the park got too big. Like 2000 people came to a party. (laughs) and we got we got shut down so it was actually not great yeah because we couldn't do parties in the park anymore so it was like oh crap you know what are we gonna do now um but that was sort of the tipping point where we were like oh we actually got too big so we learned a little bit from that but we actually had to pull back a little bit on those and um we ended up Going indoors, we ended up going to like I'm trying to remember the little clubs that we went to, but we ended up going to Mezzanine, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually. But that was like back in 2010, I think. So that was much later.
1: I'd love to talk a little bit about the DJs and the community. Mm -hmm. It seems like they're sort of united by a common passion, which is this this funky house. Like how do you cultivate community among your roster?
2: It's really interesting because we started out as friends and, um, you know, and kind of built that little community around us. Um, it's interesting because Barclay's been traveling, you know, all around DJing for other parties and other promoters. And it was something that he sort of wanted to build because of how sort of he was being treated on the road, too. And it was really interesting. So he definitely noticed the difference, you know, between like being on the road and being treated like an artist versus being treated like, you know, family. So it was very interesting. Um, they, so basically he, he basically says, you know, every event that we do, we have to think about it like we're an artist. So we treat every artist differently, um, depending on, you know, every show that we do. So we have, you know, make sure that all of everything for the artist is coming in correctly, right? So they get their riders on time. They get a little gift bag that Fernando usually puts together. Um, they do, we just do things very, very differently we'll definitely go to each set. You know, we talk to them. Um, We don't treat them like they're an artist or unapproachable. Does that make sense?
1: Totally. Yeah. I think the distinction that you made between being an artist and being family is exactly the feeling that you get when you, when you attend events and um, when you follow the DJs on social media and things like that. In terms of your community's culture, how much of it is organic and how much do you guys try to set the tone?
2: It kind of started out Out of necessity um, and creativity, because we actually needed our fans to help us because we didn't have the staff. Um, We really we encourage people to help us create stuff and to be part of our brand. It's really an essence that we've built from, I mean, more so I think in the last five years that I've been there because I've wanted to do a lot more than you know what we can sort of afford to do. So we do rely on our fans and we ask them to be a part of our brand. We encourage people to help create stuff. Like we have our patch contest where we share logos. We ask people to design stuff for us. We encourage people to bring, you know, their friends into that community and to, um, you know, it's this group mentality that we actually try to encourage For example, like on Dirty Work Camp Out, we did, you know, if you have more than 20 people in your group, we'll make a group flag for you. We'll give you the best space available and we'll give you VIP status, you know, or something like that. So we're always encouraging our fans to be a part of our brand. And it's also like we don't treat them like they're separate. We treat them like they are part of our brand. They are our brand you know,
1: you can't, you can't manufacture that. So what do you think is the allure? Like, why are people so excited to join in?
2: I mean, the vibe is just amazing within the community. It's very helpful and accepting and real. I mean, it's not fake. It's not ravey. It's, it's kind of like plur, but it doesn't have the ravey hippie vibes. It's more real people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like it's our community that kind of just spreads that, I don't know, people just really want to be a part of it. And yeah. we encourage them to be a part of it. And I'm not, it's, I'm trying to, you know, I think from a brand perspective, it's like we listen to them. We encourage them to be, you know, to be with us. I think everyone feels like every time they go, you know, to an event or to a show, they just, they feel like our vibe is just so different, you know? Definitely.
1: Definitely. And what kind of rules do you have for your community? It's interesting. When we started out,
2: you know, we always felt like the rules were um, in dance music, right? When you look at like we call Europe kind of like Euro cool, right? And first and foremost, we want our events to be fun. So that's like number one. It's really interesting. It's like I get a lot of offers, you know, for people to come and do educational activities or voting, you know, at our events. And I'm like, you know what? We just want it to be fun. Like we don't want, you know, people to actually think about the outside world, (laughs) you know, we just want to have fun. Um, So that's number one. Um, And then it's always taking care of each other is really important. Um, Don't be rude. You know, just love, friendship, acceptance.
1: How do you um, how do you cultivate super fans? You have like a super active community, but um, you've got really active people moderating your Facebook group. Like, is that is that a formal program? How do you think about the super evangelists?
2: Yeah, it's really funny because we you know we have a lot of fans that are amazing. And because we don't have a lot of staff here, um, we kind of rely on our fans to do a lot of some of the, the leg lifting for us online. They do. And it's just, it's incredible. You know, we've found people online and in real life that we know are kind of responsible people. (laughs) And so we encourage them to help us to, you know, keep the conversations going online and arm them with information. And they find the information too. And they just, you know, spread the news, which is fantastic. I actually talked to these people and I was actually considering doing something a little bit more formal where, um, I haven't done this yet, but I actually think that I need to do this which is essentially like creating a fan community board I have calls with fans all the time. People want to give me feedback about our events or they want to tell us something that we should be doing differently. And I actually do take calls with people because I want to make sure that I'm really understanding like the deeper needs, you know, of things. I'm listening online, but I, a lot of times people won't really tell you, you know, what they're really feeling. Um, so I really encourage people to reach out to us and we have conversations with fans um, and we talk to them and we listen, you know. You know, so I think that's really the most important thing. That's incredible. Do other labels do that? I have no idea. It's funny because people say to me, like, why do you care so much? You know, like, "Who?" you know, like, stop listening to those fans. And I'm like, actually, you know, they're the ones that matter. They are us.
1: So funding communities is always like a really big question for our listeners. You know, you've got your live events and of course, you know, music and streaming sales, but you also have a a subscription program, the Birdhouse. Can you talk about why this was important to launch and how you think about revenue?
2: Yeah, it's actually called The Bird Feed, but Sorry.
1: that's okay. Bird feed. <laughs> it's all good.
2: <laughs> the Bird House is actually a Bird House radio show that Barkley does once a month, or I mean, once a week. Um, but The Bird Feed essentially started, it's really interesting, when things really shifted from downloads to streaming. There was a company called Ghostly, and they basically, you know, developed this um, program called Drip it was sort of like the way that we could survive in the way how things were changing from downloads to streaming, because at the time streaming wasn't really making up a lot, a big percentage of our revenue. So in fact, it was more of a financial decision at the time, I think, just like how can we make sure that we cultivate our own audience and also like have an online subscription? Because who knows what's really going to happen when it comes to sales and streaming? This was like seven years ago, right? So that's when Birdfeed was built. And, um, actually a couple years ago or no, five years ago, bird feed and drip went away. And so we decided to build it ourselves. And that's kind of when I actually started full-time at dirty bird. And so I ended up building it ourselves and it really is like the place that you can go to if you're a super fan and you get all of our records before anyone else, you can get high-res files. You have a community called Chirp on there where you can talk to each other. Um, you get discounts on clothing. You get discounts on events. You get first access to tickets. Do you know what I mean? But I think it's more its more about, and what I'm trying to do is to make it more involved as a community building thing. We're building BirdFeed 2.0, and we are giving more opportunities to share And to connect with each other outside of socials, because socials can come and go. And also, uh, you know, my goal is to get everyone to go from socials to bird feed. Like that's essentially what we're trying to do is to get them offline. So it doesn't cost us money to talk to our fans that we've built.
1: Can you talk about social media and kind of like how you think about those channels? And then it's so interesting that you want to kind of transition them from from the channels to, to bird Fiend,
2: 2.0. I mean, let's just say, I think socials are one of the most important channels that we have. And it really is our way of reaching more people because obviously people are there, you know? Yeah. So it's always like, go to where the people are and um, talk to them. We actually did a live stream last night, which was interesting. Um, but it's tough. It's like you've built this audience on Facebook and you've actually spent so much time and energy you know, getting this audience and now they're like, actually you have to pay to reach your audience that you built, you know? And it's just really frustrating for me because it's like, we actually are, you know, music, you know, music makers um, are about 30%. I believe of all the content that is really happening on socials today. I mean, we are sort of responsible for everyone going on to socials because it's the hook, right? Mm -hmm. But then we have to pay to reach our own fans. So Mm -hmm. it's like we're helping social channels get all this content, but they're not helping us. So it's just, it's really frustrating. Um, But I mean, obviously it helps us tremendously. And I can't tell you how many times my husband has come to me and said, I don't want to do socials. Can I just not do socials? And I'm like, that's not possible. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, it's just not possible. It's where everyone is. You have to be where everyone is. So eventually, yes, we want to get them into our own little hub and our own little community. But we have to start, you know, somewhere.
1: And to be clear, is birdfeed Feed, um, is that a subscription? Is there a subscription fee or is it a free service?
2: So it's sort of like Spotify where it's like a freemia model mm-hmm. where we have um, Chirp, which is our own community channel um, where you can talk for free and you can ask questions to anyone that you want to um for you know, especially us here on Dirty Bird, we have AMAs every single month. Um, but then there is the next level up, which essentially is where you get you know you pay six ninety nine a month um, for the records Got and it. for the discounts and for any other perks that we give people.
1: Right. Of course, now we're in a really unprecedented time when coronavirus is changing the landscape of our lives, and especially for live music events. So, how are you guys doing?
2: it's so funny we we tested a live stream last night and um uh let's just say we're not so good at this (laughs) so good and it's really sad because uh you know we had some time to get this up and running like months and we challenged our team of you know employees here to kind of get it up and running and let's just say it was a epic fail last night um but we learned a lot and um it was you know the thing is is we uh we moved from sort of like gate, like an email gate thing on Vimeo to a um, to Facebook and Instagram, just because you know we wanted was since we had Claude uh, Barkley there DJing, it was like let's just have some fun with this, and so we kept it going for a couple of hours. Um, but you know, the computer overheated. We lost our cameras in like the five, the last 10 minutes. Um, It took us 20 minutes just to get anything up. You know, it was really it was really not great. But I will tell you, our community still loved it. Like it was, you know, we were on Instagram with like a green screen on the background and then it was on Facebook and it was really glitchy. And so, um, but our community didn't care. They were just so happy, you know, to hear the music and to just like, you know, they felt like it was incredible. The response was incredible.
1: And do you think this is going to change like how you think about these kinds of digital events, even after the virus, you know, we're not thinking as much about coronavirus?
2: Um, the only problem that I'm having right now is that everyone is doing a live stream. Mm -hmm. You know? But so how do we stand out and be different is always the challenge. Um, But I don't think that our fans really care. So I think, yes, it definitely helps us get the technology in order. But as far as like, we really do need each other to connect um, personally, you know, versus like a live stream. It's not the same. And we all felt good about it. But definitely, you know, it's just not the same.
1: What has Running Dirty Bird taught you about community at large? It's just really powerful.
2: You know, I think that it's interesting as being a marketer and understanding um, people want to build community and it's something that has to be in your DNA. You have to be, you literally just, it's you or it's not you. It has to be authentic. You have to just either live and breathe it. Or don't because everyone will choose and know what is fake and what's not fake. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you just can't fake it. It's just, it is, it either is there and you focus on it a hundred percent of the time or it's not there and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't fake it. <laughs> that's really what you know i see other people trying to build community and you're just like it just comes off really fake
1: that really comes through when you attend your events and being part of this community i would definitely feel that um what's the biggest challenge you face in running dirty bird
2: Well, now, I mean, it's actually really tough because we had to cancel our events in May and we're struggling with all the shifts and the changes of everyone moving to October and September and August. And it's just, it's sort of like, create you know, we have such a small margin. On our events, and I don't think people understand that, like and the risk you know that we take throwing events is just every promoter does this. The risk is just so high, and our margins are so small it's like we're lucky if we break even and make money on these things. So the biggest challenge for us is just in today's you know day and age, like how are we going to keep going and with all the volatility. You know, I mean, the label will go on. The label, the music will always be there, which is fantastic. It's more about, you know, the challenges of throwing events um, today.
1: And how can the community help you during this time?
2: I think it's just more, you know, supporting us from uh, buying the music and streaming the music and continuing to support us by, you know, buying our clothing. Um, But really, it's just, I think it's more mentally Supporting us too during this time and just being there for each other.
1: What about a more fun question? Is like in just in terms of the swag. Um, what are some of your favorite things that you've seen?
2: I mean, it's crazy. All the fun stuff. It's it's amazing. I mean, people are just always handing us stuff. It's really it's really funny, and you know they they make funny things because we're all about fun. Um, my favorite piece of swag that somebody made that was just incredible was like a it was a onesie that was like sweatshirt a sweatshirt material onesie that just had logos like all over it you know it was so fun and cool and I was like I tried for years on how I could make it and I probably could do it now
1: you know but um that was really cool and what have been some of your personal like favorite moments um at the camp out or at other dirty bird events
2: Gosh, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. I just feel like I've been to so many events um, and our own events. I mean, the camp out is just incredible. It's just the best. I don't think I've ever had, you know, more fun in my whole life. It really is the best. Um, and I, it's really hard to explain to people because it's not like any other festival that you've ever been to. And because of the games and activities that you do, and with the color teams, it's just, it's hilarious. I mean, that's the coolest part about it, too, is like people stick with us for years and years and years and they really don't age out, which is awesome. But I just feel like the camp out is like, it's an epitome of, you know, hum, of like losing yourself for the weekend.
1: I'd love to end on music. Um, what music would you recommend that people listen to, either just to familiarize themselves with the label or and or to kind of get through this tough time?
2: Um... The music is everywhere you want it to be. So, any platform that you listen to music, just go and search for Dirty Bird and go to the label and you'll find playlists like This is Dirty Bird on Spotify. Also, the Birdhouse radio show has 4 million listeners every week, which is incredible worldwide. So, you can go to Cloud One Stroke for that and you can see the Birdhouse radio show. And it's really fun. They have, um, they play about five or six songs and then there's guest mix from all djs from around the world so that's a fun one as well but um dirty bird you know records.com is the place to go for all that stuff fantastic
1: well andy thank you so much for your time thank you mia if you want to connect with andy and the dirty bird crew find them at dirtybirdrecords.com
0: If you want to find out more about us, people and company, you can head on over to our website, peopleand.company, or you can pester our correspondent, Mia, on Twitter at MiaQ, M-I-A-Q. Also, our book is on Amazon, gettogetherbook.com. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like this one with Andi and also like the one we had with Mia in the past. Mia's story is in the book. Oh, and last thing, if you don't mind, please review us or subscribe to the podcast. It helps more people bump into this in the podcast store. Great. Thank you. Talk to you next time.